Hey everybody, it's Pastor Chad. Welcome to The Way Ministry Live. Today is Sunday, July 11th, 2021. Sorry I wasn't here last week. Uh, I've just been completely inundated with work and hadn't had a day off in a while, so I decided to uh, take last Sunday off and just relax a little bit. Uh, in case you're not aware, uh, if you're not a pastor, sometimes it can take hours upon hours and days upon days just for one sermon to come together. So sometimes it's nice to just uh, be able to step away a little bit and just regroup, get my head together and have a break from uh, doing that. So every couple of months, I'll just take a Sunday off, but it's good to be back. I'm excited about today's message. Uh, it just seems nowadays that so many topics or portions of scripture that I come across are so pertinent and relevant for the times in which we live. And uh, it just seems like that's happening constantly now because we live in times that I think everybody would agree are very, um, if not a Christian, could be scary, but even as a Christian are just confusing and quite chaotic. So um, today's message is entitled, Blessed Are the Forgiven, and it's based on Psalm 32. Let's pray and we will get into today's message. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity again to be able to gather here this Sunday uh, at a distance to be able to uh, learn of you, to learn of your word, and to learn of such a beautiful and amazing truth today, the truth of the forgiveness that we have only in Jesus Christ. And Lord, I just ask that you would bless each person that hears this message, uh, that your word would go forth power, go forth powerfully, and that you would do a mighty work through it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Blessed are the forgiven, and it's based on Psalm 32. Before I get into it, I wanted to just preface it with a couple thoughts. Hey, mom and dad, good to see you guys. Thanks for being here today. Um, if you comment, I see the comments on the Way Ministry Facebook page. Um, I respond to those after the message. Any other comments I don't see until after uh, I finish preaching because I broadcast to a few different platforms. I heard something on a podcast I was listening to last week, and it really struck me as a truth that sort of addressed what we're seeing very much in the world today. And that was the point that I believe we're living in a time in which the world is transitioning from denial of God to defiance against God. And what I mean by that is we've had a period for quite some time in the world where, you know, atheism has been very prevalent. Just turning down the background music a little bit, where atheism has been very prevalent and there's been a, a lot of apathy in the Christian church, not a lot of passion for the Lord and the gospel. But when I'm making this, this, this statement, I, I'm talking about mainly from the perspective of the world. We're seeing a transition, I believe, from a denial of God to a defiance against God. And what I mean by that is uh, from turning the back to raising the fist. You know, uh, atheists, every, everybody has, tells us in the book of Romans clearly that every person knows there is God. There is really no such thing as an atheist. An atheist knows that there is a God. They just 
make it a lifetime pursuit quite often, sadly, of turning their back on God and not wanting to admit that he exists. And now we're seeing what a turning from, from turning the back on God to the next phase of raising the fist to God, to where, uh, at least for myself, I don't hear so much about atheism now as we see <coughs> this blatant raising the fist and saying, we're going to stand up to God and we're going to do what we think we should do, what we think is right. We're seeing that quite often in humanity, uh, quite often through, I'll just say, um, the pride movement, you know, um, pride is what brought down Satan. So a turning from turning the back to raising the fist from the ignorance of atheism to the pride of blatant outright rebellion against God from covert subterfuge to overt outright attacks against God. We're seeing that in, we're seeing that happen more and more. Our hearts and minds as Christians must be in communion with the Lord, abiding in him and his word as this increases. And I think there, there's many examples I could give of this to make my point. And I'm going to actually preach on that topic in the next couple of weeks of how the world is transitioning from denial of God to defiance against God and give some scriptural examples of where that has happened historically. But I don't think anybody would argue the fact that we are seeing much more than the denial. Defiance, if you look at it biblically, <laughs> receives a very harsh response in the wrath of God. So I just wanted to preface with that in mind, because Psalm 32 is one of these beautiful portions of Scripture that enable us and equip us as Christian believers to make a stand against what's going on in the world, and to not be worn down and drugged down by what's happening in the world. Because we will face increasing attacks, increasing ridicule. Um, fewer and fewer people will want to hear the truths that we proclaim from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And many of those attacks will come from those claiming to be Christian. I can tell you from my own ministry, the most uh, har the harshest, the most intense and the meanest attacks that I receive and have received historically while being in ministry have been from, from, from professing Christians. Um, it, it, it's shocking, and it happens continually. The reason I share that is because we have to be ready to accept that. We live in a time where the vast majority of the church is apostate or absolutely heretical with no understanding of the gospel and far outside what the church is supposed to be. And when that is exposed, it's la they lash out against it. So this is one of those psalms that helps us keeps our keep our heads in the right place and not be worn down or drawn into the negativity that's presented but to us from the world and from uh, the false church that's out there. So what I want to do first is uh, I want to read Psalm 32. And keep in mind that this was most likely written after David was confronted by the prophet Nathan. And if you're not familiar with that episode in Scripture, David had sinned horrifically. He had uh, lusted after a woman who he had seen from the rooftop of his palace as she was bathing on uh, the roof of her home close by. And he had her, uh, he sent for her and had her brought to his palace. Um, they got together. She became pregnant. And her husband, it turned out, Uriah, 
was her name was Bathsheba. Uriah was one of David's most loyal and uh, yeah, most loyal soldiers. And David actually sent him to his death in order to protect himself uh, from the consequences of the sin that he had carried out with Bathsheba. So you've got adultery and you've got murder, two horrific sins that David was confronted with by the prophet Nathan. Um, and it's believed that this psalm was probably written by David concerning that episode. It's not known for sure, but I tend to think that it was. So let's look at Psalm 32 and get into this message for today. Psalm 32 says, A psalm of David, a maskil, how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. Selah. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near to you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness, will surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. So like so many of the Psalms, it's powerful, it's poetic. And it's a beautiful thing for us to read. But I want to look at it just section by section. But before I do, I want to preface it again with a portion of Scripture that if you followed my ministry for any amount of time, you're very familiar with, Romans 12, 2, which begins, uh, Do not be conformed to this world. And I believe I have uh, 12.2 on the screen here. Yeah. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do not be conformed to this world. This world has false religions. It has philosophy. It has psychology, psychiatry, recovery and self-help programs, new age spirituality, etc. It's an endless parade of failing humanistic band-aids that never come near the cause of the world's pain and suffering. And I've talked about this before. If you look back, even over the last 50 to 7,500 years of history, you see just this constant regurgitating of the same humanistic philosophies with a different label, trying to supposedly fix all that's wrong with mankind. And they continue to fail over and over and over again. And that's one of the reasons that I you know, started the Recovery Reformation ministry years ago is because I saw that so blatantly um, exhibited through the whole 12-step thing. You see people just trapped in this cult-like mentality, being told that they're, they're going to get better 
and their life's going to get back together when all they've done is just gone into an incredibly destructive false teaching that leads them away from the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christians, those who are born again and made new creations in Jesus Christ, have the true way, they have the truth, and we have the life. Those who have been reconciled to God by and through Jesus Christ have blessings and joys beyond explanation. Those in Jesus Christ rejoice in the blessedness of forgiveness. And that's the point of today's message. We rejoice in the blessedness of forgiveness because until our sins are forgiven and we're cleansed of that sin and iniquity that we have against God, because we have sinned against him and his law, we are in a state of rebellion. Until that is addressed, we will never have true peace. We will never know what joy is because we will never be reconciled to our maker until it takes place through faith and trust in Jesus Christ, which only comes about through the gospel. Very important. And then Romans 12, 2 closes with, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And the reason that is so important for us to understand is the renewal of your mind will only happen through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the word of God. That is why scripture is so vitally important for the Christian life, especially for these times in which we live. But let's look at Psalm 32 here, starting in verse 1. It says, A psalm of David, a masquil, how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. A masquil is basically, basically a contemplation. This is meant to be something that you contemplate, you savor, and you meditate on. God's word is not like reading just a regular novel. Many people think that's how you can read the Bible. You start in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and you just you just read the Bible from back to front, you, from front to back. You can do that. But what you've got to understand is God's word is meant to be read prayerfully, and we're, we're to pray to be led into the truth of his word by the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's to be contemplated. But this is the greatest of all blessings to know that our transgressions are forgiven, that our sin is covered. From this springs all other true joys and happiness, not in a worldly sense, but in a true biblical sense from the viewpoint of Jesus Christ. This blessing, the blessing of forgiveness, lifts the sinner from the pit of despair and brings us from hell to heaven. Everything is changed and made new by this truth. Our comfort and our peace spring from this blessing of being forgiven in Jesus Christ. Look at Colossians 2, 13 and 14. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Amen. What a beautiful blessing that is. We were dead in our sins and trespasses, the uncircumcision of our flesh, and he made us alive together in Christ. Our sins have been forgiven and our certificate of death has been canceled. Now, like so many things nowadays, we may hear them so much that we don't realize how profound they are and the depth of meaning that they possess. 
And when it says our sins have been forgiven, our certificate of debt has been canceled. When I make that statement, I want you to consider the fact of contrasting our sin with the holiness and perfection of God. And when you read in scripture that if we break even one dot of the law, one iota of God's law, we've broken his entire law. And then you look back over your life and think of all the sins that we have committed and that we have committed them against a perfect, holy, and eternal God. You begin to get, I believe, a bit of, the, of an understanding of how severely depraved we are when we are lost and dead in our sins and trespasses and that we could never reconcile with our Father, our Creator, because of that. We needed a perfect sacrifice to do that for us. Now, in John 19, 30, Jesus says, Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. That is three of the most important words that you will read in Scripture when it comes to the topic of forgiveness. Just about every religion, since false religion since the beginning of time has tried to somehow compromise the statement of Christ on the cross where he said, it is finished, by saying Christ's atonement on the cross wasn't enough, so you need to do some of your own works to earn your way to be reconciled to the Father. They will add works to the work that Christ took care of on the cross. False religions have thrived on that since the beginning of the church. When Christ said, it is finished, what he was saying is those who he came to save are saved in him. Their sins were washed away through the sacrifice that he made on the cross. And there's nothing that we can do to add to it. There's nothing we can do to add to it. And there's nothing that we need to do to add to it. It is done. So don't let anyone ever tell you that you need to belong to a certain type of church, that you need to perform a certain type of works, that you need to do penance, or whatever it is, in order to have your sins taken care of before the Father. Christ took care of it on the cross. The only way to have forgiveness before God is to look to Calvary, to look at Christ on the cross, understand what his sacrifice accomplished for you as a sinner, and to place your faith and your trust in him. That's where forgiveness is, not in any types of works. Let's look at verse 32 too. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Our sin and guilt, our due penalty was imputed to Jesus and his perfect righteousness was imputed to us. If you don't understand the topic of imputation, I think one of the most interesting ways to look at it is to, is to think about the fact that Adam sinned as the representative of mankind. That sin was imputed to mankind. So Adam's sin was imputed to us. The only thing that we can take to the cross of Christ is our sin, and our sin is then imputed to Christ. And then Christ takes that sin, he has atoned for it, he has paid the debt for it, and his perfect righteousness is then imputed to us, and we become one with him. That's what imputation is. Our sin and guilt, our due penalty was imputed to Jesus, and his perfect righteousness was imputed to us. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him who knew no sin 
Christ is the only human being to ever walk this planet that absolutely was spotlessly pure and never committed a sin in any way, mentally, emotion, mentally, spiritually, or physically. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And then he says, in whose spirit there is no deceit. True believers from the heart desire to worship the Lord in truth, to bring everything to him in honesty and love, a desire to be truthful and to seek the truth with a hatred for deceit and cunning, both in our personal walk and in our ministry. We are not perfect. As long as we are in the flesh, it is going to be a constant wrestling match between the old man that we were in our sin and the new man that we are becoming in Jesus Christ. But we are not deceitful. We are truly striving to be conformed to the image of Christ as we wrestle with the flesh. John 4.23 says, But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. And Psalm 119.104, from your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. This is actually one of my favorite verses in scripture. From your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. And I feel very confidently that for too many years, the church has been trying to uh, stand in sort of a gray area with false teachings and say, well, we just need to try to get along with the false teachers, with the heresies and the apostates in order not to offend them. And then somewhere along the line, we'll share the gospel with them and they'll come to Christ to compromise with false ways. Nowhere in scripture is that laid out. Christ always preached the gospel convincingly without compromise according to the word of God. And many people will say, yes, but it says that he, 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 he ate with, with, with sinners and harlots and, the, and these people and tax collectors. Yes, he did. He preached the gospel to them. He didn't become like them. You see, you cannot blend the false with the truth of Jesus Christ. You cannot partake of the table of demons and the table of Christ. It's impossible, and it is totally unbiblical to do so. And it is a sim. It is is an uh, example of a lack of faith. If you truly have faith in God's word, you won't worry about the response from the false teachers. You will simply share the gospel, let the Holy Spirit do what He's going to do, and continue on with your walk. So there's nothing wrong with saying, "From your precepts, I get understanding." Therefore, I hate every false way. Let's look at Psalm 32, verses 3 and 4. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. So David is giving us a picture right here of what he was suffering before he had confessed his sin, repented, and sought forgiveness from the Lord. And I don't think there's any human being that can't say, I can relate to what he's going through. Especially if you've got a history like, like mine, where you've been through drug addiction, alcoholism, or, or whatever it is. You understand what it is to be silent about your sin. You understand what it is to feel your body wasting away through being in a constant state of groaning all day long. And feeling the Lord's hand heavy on you and your vitality drained away like you've got a fever because of what sin is doing to you. 
Now, this may sound very strange. That is a very good condition for a sinner to be in. That is where sinners need to end up. And that is where the gospel brings a sinner, because that is the condition of body, spirit, and mind that will bring someone to faith in Jesus Christ. Sin drains and wastes and destroys. The wages of sin is death. And there is no suffering like suffering under the weight of the conviction of sin. Now, another point I want to make is Satan is very effective these days at covering up the suffering of sin with lies and false solutions. This is what I alluded to at the beginning. So many people who are suffering because of sin, Satan leads them astray by making them feel better and making them think they found a solution to overcome what it is that's that's crushing them because they don't realize it's sin. And it'll be done through medication. It'll be done through self-help programs. It's done constantly through recovery programs. Like I've shared before, when I, when I was told I had a disease, when I first got sober, I thought, well, I, I can't be blamed for what I've done if I have a disease. And it took 13 or 14 years for that lie to eat away at me, to, try, to finally bring me to the truth of realizing that, no, I'm not diseased. I'm a sinner. And I've gone in a very bad direction through this whole AA 12-step thing. And I need to find what the truth is. And that truth was, I was dead in my sins and trespasses. I needed to come and place my faith in Christ, not in anything of man. You see? So this is something very important to take away from this today. Is Satan is very effective nowadays at keeping people from understanding what it is to suffer because of the sin that they are in. But that suffering must be had in order to bring people through the gospel message to the cross of Christ. But by the power of God's word through the gospel, that suffering becomes a blessing. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And again, if you've been through those experiences, if sin has crushed you, if you've understood what David's writing about in Psalm 32, 3 and, and 4, you look back when Christ has lifted you out of that and you're walking with him and you've placed your faith and trust in him and you're a new creation and being conformed to his image. You look back on that, which was hell to go through and to live through. And you praise the Lord for it because it brought you to where you are today. And I can tell you from my own experience, that is very true. So do not discount the importance of suffering for sin because it is part of a person coming to Christ through the gospel. Let's look at Psalm 32, 5. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of of my sin, Salah. And Salah is like, basically, they think it means to just take a pause and, and like a like a smaller contemplation on that portion of scripture. I want to back this up with Psalm 103, 10 through 14, which says, he has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful 
that we are but dust. This psalm is praising the Lord again for the blessing of forgiveness. Believers are freed from God's wrath. Our sins have been covered and paid for, but we must continually bring our sins and our transgressions and our feelings to the Lord and bring them to the cross. And again, you can't look at salvation in Jesus Christ as saying, well, I said a sinner's prayer. My passport to heaven is stamped so I can live any way I want. No, if you have made that conscious decision, which follows being born again, if the Holy Spirit has regenerated you from the dead that you were in your sins and trespasses, blessed you with eyes to see and ears to hear the word of God, blessed you with faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and you are that new creation because of the working of the Holy Spirit, if that has happened to you, then you will understand that your life from that point forward will be a constant self-examination as you were trying to do away with the old person that was dead in the sins and trespasses and to become more and more conformed to the image of Christ that you are to be in the new person that he has made you to be. So examine yourselves and strive to become like Christ, to be conformed to his image. Look at Colossians 3, 8 through 10. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. So Paul's given us a picture there of putting away what he's given us a picture of was the old person and becoming the new person that we are in Christ. Matthew 6, 14 through 15 says, For if you forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Folks, this is one of those portions of Scripture that really trips people up. Because one of the hardest things for even Christians to do is to forgive those who have harmed us, those that have spited us, those that have abused us, in whatever way that may be. And sometimes some of our greatest and most powerful times of growth in Christ will be as we are praying for the grace and the power that we need to forgive someone who we do not want to forgive. It's one of the most um, tangible experiences we may have of wrestling with the flesh is when it comes to forgive others. But it's a daily application. We have to understand that if we are praying for the Lord to give us the strength and the power we need to forgive someone that our flesh doesn't want to forgive, that is the attitude we are to have, and he will enable us to do it. Okay? He will enable us to do so. Look at 1 John 1, 8 through 10. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So yes, it is a sin not to forgive others. But the sin that's that's talking about here of unforgiveness is to just say, I will never forgive that person. I've made that decision and nothing will change it. If you're struggling to forgive someone, bring it to the Lord in prayer and he will enable you to do so. Wayne Grudem regarding whoops, uh, confession 
says confession of sins is necessary in order for God to forgive us in the sense of restoring his day-to-day relationship with us. It is good when we pray to confess all known sin to the Lord and to ask for his forgiveness. Sometimes when we wait on him, he will bring other sins to mind that we need to confess. With respect to those sins that we do not remember or are unaware of, it is appropriate to pray the general prayer of David, clear me from hidden faults. And one thing I can tell you that you will experience if you are a new Christian and you're a new believer and you're striving to walk with Christ and to be conformed to his image, in a few years, you will look back and be amazed at how sins that absolutely don't even register right now on your radar are horrific to you a few years down the road. When I look at myself when I came out of the 12-step thing 15 or 16 years ago, and how I was living in apostasy and just just uh, following something that was contrary to Christ. Sins now completely bother me that back then I didn't even realize were sins. You see? So the, clo- the more you grow in the Lord, the more of a sensitivity you will have for sin. You will understand that you're always going to wrestle with sin until the day you go to be with the Lord. But if you're striving to grow closer to the Lord, you will gradually move out of sin and sin will become more reprehensible to you and you'll become more sensitive to it. And that's what you have to pray for. You definitely need to pray for that. Psalm 119, 12 through 13 reiterates this point. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. What David's talking about here is God's law requires such perfection that we break it constantly and we don't even know it. That's how sinful we are. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Ask yourself, how many times throughout the day do you have thoughts that are sinful, contrary to Christ, evil? We all do. Bring them to the Lord. He will help you overcome them. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. Let's look at Psalm 32, 6. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they will not reach him. Now is the time to confess, to repent, to come to the cross of Christ. God's mercy is held forth in the gospel, but the day of judgment is coming. The the message of the gospel is powerful. The message of the gospel is all we need to win people to Christ, for ourselves to come to Christ, to strengthen us in Christ. It is all we need. But if you're not in Christ and you have not placed your faith and your trust in him and are not following him, you have to understand that the day of judgment is coming. And when that day comes, there's no second chances after that. Psalm 69, 13 says, But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord, at an acceptable time, O God, in the greatness of your loving kindness. Answer me with your saving truth. Our faith is founded on the rock, and he will protect us from the flood and the tempest. Amen. Let's look at Psalm 32, 7. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. 
you surround me with songs of deliverance. Now David's talking about, he's given us a contrast. Look at, if you think back to verses three and four, when he was absolutely crushed by his sin, and then you contrast it to what he's proclaiming now, he sees the Lord as his hiding place, preserving him from trouble, surrounding him with songs of deliverance because he's been delivered from his sin and from the penalty of his sin. And then he says, Selah. <clears throat> Only a believer, a child of God, can understand and grasp the awesome truth that David is writing about here. It's a very comforting meditation for the times in which we live. When you see the world going crazy and you see so much heresy and apostasy and people, if you're in ministry, believe me, people are, are, are attacking you constantly, whether they're sending you false teachings, they're attacking what you're trying to preach about on the, of the gospel. I have friends who are apologists who receive death threats. But if you understand that you are hidden in the Lord, he is preserving you from trouble and he surrounds you with songs of deliverance. You don't let those things affect you. Only a believer, a child of God can understand and grasp these awesome truths. It's a very comforting meditation for these times in which we are living. We are hidden in Christ, preserved from trouble, surrounded with songs of deliverance in the midst of the storms of this world. Now, this is very important. We are protected in the midst of the storms, not always from the storms. Both believers and unbelievers experience the storms. But as the unbeliever is washed away because their foundation of sand crumbled, the believer stands calm and protected on the foundation of the rock, which is Jesus Christ. That's the difference. Praise the Lord for that. Let's look at Psalm 32, 8, the next verse. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. This is a promise from the Lord. If you are truly seeking him, he will give you instruction. He will teach you so you know the way to go and he will counsel you and he will have his eye on you. What an awesome picture that is for a believer to consider. Abide in Christ, abide in his word, look to him, follow him and stay on the narrow path. John 15, 7 through 10 says, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. Pray that the Lord, through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, will bless you with wisdom, knowledge, and understanding of his word and of his way. Folks, you cannot stay on the narrow path without the guidebook for the narrow path. And that guidebook is the Bible, the holy word of God. If you are not reading the Bible, if you're not striving to learn of Christ, to see more of him, to be conformed to his image through his word in the Bible, how are you going to stay on the narrow path? Because that is our map for that path, the Bible. If you read The Pilgrim's Progress by, James, by John Bunyan that was written hundreds of years ago, his main character, Christian, who is on his way to the celestial kingdom, eternity with Christ, always had his Bible in his hand. It is all you need. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 tells us that the word of God is all we need in the Christian walk and in Christian ministry. Do not let people tell you that you need to add to it, that you need to change it. Just read it, 
learn it, trust it, and strive to understand it. Let's look at verses 32.9 and 32.10. Do not be as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near to you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord's in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. Verse 9 is a symbol of those trapped in the lies of false teachings. They are like horses or mules that have no understanding. That is so common in the modern church. And trappings can be uh, explained as many are the sorrows of the wicked. Because when you're in those false teachings, when you're in the ways of the world, you are trapped and the only way out of that trap is through Jesus Christ and his gospel. Psalm 1-1, one of my favorite psalms. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. I'll read that again. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. We don't take counsel from those of the world nor stand in the path of sinners. We are on the path with Christ, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. We don't sit and scoff at the truth of God. To walk in the counsel of the wicked is to walk in the ways of the world, to rely on the ways of the world rather than the way and the truth and the life, which is Jesus Christ. And folks, I'm sorry, I always bash on the modern church, but the modern church is walking mostly in the ways of the world and trying to find ways to make Christianity more palatable to a worldly taste. Never change it for the world. Simply do what God's word tells you to do. Walk where it tells you to walk in the way that it tells you to walk. Simply follow Christ and don't worry about what the world's doing. Psalm 1, 2, and 3 is a continuation from Psalm 1. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. His delight is in the law of the Lord. You will find happiness, peace, joy, and comfort and purpose in the law of the Lord. When I say the law of the Lord, you could you could just you could say scripture. The law is not just God's law, it's scripture. And in his law, he meditates day and night. It's not an hour a day. I spend my first two to three hours every morning in scripture, reading the word, praying over it. But that's not all. I want it to be in my mind, in my heart, constantly throughout the day. The more it's in your heart, the more comfort you will have. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. You cannot ever, I, I can't explain enough the importance, especially in these times in which we live, of being in God's word constantly. Memorize it, pray about it learn all you can about it, and never let anybody tell you that you need to add to it, you need to change it, that it's not enough. Seek Christ in his word, and he will never fail you. He will always show himself, and you will gain wisdom, understanding, and knowledge of him if you're truly seeking him through his word. Let's close with the last verse, Psalm 32, 11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, your right, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. We shout for joy because we are upright in heart. Why? Because we have Christ's righteousness imputed to us. It's nothing of us. It's all of Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again uh, that we're able to learn of you and to uh, delve deeply into your word. And Lord, I just ask that you would uh, bless everyone that hears this message, that you would open your word uh, more clearly 
and more fully to those that hear this message and that you would do a mighty work through it and that the gospel uh, would go forth powerfully through every person that hears this. Please guide us in the coming week, open doors of opportunity for the gospel, strengthen us, and help us to stay on the narrow path without any compromise with this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being here today, you guys. If you get a chance, visit our sponsor website, elephantwalk.net. Caring in every step reflected in the quality of our products and efforts to combat poverty and support wildlife conservation that our sales help support. We import products uh, right now, mostly from Kenya. We're considering a few other countries right now as well. Um, and this company was started to help support the ministry and to help support the people who we do business with in Kenya and help lift them out of poverty. If you go to elephantwalk.net and type in the way, all lowercase at checkout. If you decide to make a purchase, uh, you get 10% off. And like I said, the proceeds help us do what we do both here and in Kenya. Another point I wanted to make was um, starting to think about the next trip to Kenya. We very, very much want to get the Bible school established at my friend, Pastor Patrick's church in Nairobi. I think what I may do is have Pastor Patrick come on in the next, uh, maybe sometime in the next month, and him and I could uh, both be on on a Sunday. I noticed that he's on today. Hey, Pastor Patrick. And uh, he has a school at his location in Nairobi for children. He also has another one in Kisi uh, for children that he runs. They are very much in need of support, and we want to open a Bible school at his church location in Nairobi, because I can tell you folks from being there a lot, uh, Africa is inundated with false teachings from America. And we want to make a place, uh, see a place grow up that will be a bright, shining beacon of light for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But sadly, like, like everything else in this world, takes money to do that. And we need all the support we can get. This is a massive undertaking. We really want to be able to engage in this battle more fully. Uh, COVID has absolutely devastated uh, uh, fundraising efforts, not just for our ministry, but probably for just about every true Christian ministry over the last year or so. Um, so I'd ask you to please prayerfully consider donating uh, generously so that we can get this moving forward uh, more quickly and to get it established more fully. Uh, my goal is to have the school up and running, students being taught, uh, conferences being held, and just constant activity centered around the gospel by April of next year. So there is a timeline that we're trying to meet, um, but right now our only limitation is financial. So we need all the help we can get. And with that, I want to thank those that do support this ministry. Um, there are a few families and individuals that have been so uh, generous and have stood behind me uh, and this ministry for the last, uh, you know, five, six, seven years and enabled me to do what I do. Um, and we just need more people like that to come on board and to help us because it is a joint effort. And the way I look at it is, uh, like I've talked to others, I talk to my brother about this all the time, is we want to be able to look back when we're in the kingdom and say, you know, we were able to leave that legacy. And I think that would just be awesome. If you can leave a legacy that, if, that that is moving the gospel of Jesus Christ forward, praise the Lord for that. So that's what we're trying to do. You can visit the website at the way, the letter R122.org. You can subscribe to the podcast. The podcast is basically the audio from each week's sermon. I usually release it 
the following Thursday to Saturday sometime, depending on how busy I am. Uh, just go to christianpodcastcommunity.org and search for The Way Radio in the search field. You can also listen to other Christian podcasts there. Right now, we're still on YouTube. I haven't published anything <clears throat> in the last few weeks to get that third strike taken care of, so they kicked me off. Just search for The Way Ministry Church. Slowly transferring everything over to Rumble, and you can find us on Rumble at The Way R, the Way R122. And again, if you'd like to help us out, through a donation, just go to the way r122.org. Thank you so much for being here, folks. We will be back next week, same time, same place. God bless.